You know, I, I, I used to do those all the time uh, up in Washington. I'd take a camera out and interview people. And, and really, out of like 50, you know, you can only use four or five because you can't show in church. You know, like 46. <laughs> but, uh, uh, you know, you have to pick the ones that you don't have to beat every other word. But um, the, the funny thing is, is today we're, first of all, well, actually, first of all, we're going further. If you uh, served or volunteered from the food to the bands to the kids to anything at the bluegrass event last night, would you please stand up for me? Everybody. Mark, get up. Come on. Mark, get up. <laughs> if you stand, could we give these guys a round of You know, what's interesting is one of the questions that I'll often get, you know, sometimes as a pastor, just sometimes as a person, because, you know, pastors are people, uh, <laughs> is, you know, God, Tom, why, why doesn't God just, like that one guy said, why doesn't he just come down and, and fix all this and, you know, kind of take care of the mess of this world? And, uh, you know, that's obviously a long answer, and, and there's, a, you know, there's, there's a depth to that. But there is almost this sense of when does pain and suffering and the struggles come to an end? And we began our journey about eight weeks ago uh, in our series about overcoming spiritual opposition, recognizing that so many of, this, of this, the acts of suffering and so much of the pain and so much of our struggle, whether it be with sin or with people or with whatever, had its genesis when a created angel uh, who turned into a dark angel affected human history in one of the most profound ways by having two beings made in God's image make a free will choice to fall from that perfection and then reproduce other beings that are fallen from that perfection. And the reproduction is us. We are we are the, the uh, sort of uh, you know, product of all of that. And yet, all along, we've still kind of had uh, the dark angel and the dark influences and the struggles, uh, the brokenness. And of course, you know, we, we've talked about how we can almost blame the devil for far too much. Uh, I am very, very capable of making some horrible decisions well on my own, independent of any temptation. And I, did so, I do so every day. I think. Uh, but the fact is, you know, is, is there a point where we can look forward to and say, you know what, it's over. This is, this is all coming to an end. And this morning, the great news I get to share from you is, it already has. It already has come to an end. And uh, if you're open, we're going to go on a biblical journey this morning. Uh, from the Old Testament to the New, in finding that the old order of things, the, the, the things that cause pain and suffering and, and sin or whatever, has truly passed away and the new has come. Amen? Until we die, those who trust in Christ, we kind of live with a sort of dualism. There's that old self that is temptable 
that is uh, broken, that is weak, that can still be filled with fear, even toward God. And the old self trying to figure out constantly. And, and this is one of the things that grieves me so much. Uh, even, even at the school I teach at with some of the Bible college students, where there's still this, this sense of, of, of being afraid of God or trying to appease God or trying to be a good boy for God or trying to be a good girl for God so that God doesn't somehow get mad at us or God doesn't somehow you know, get so upset with us and begin to write us off and, and just kind of living under this, if I do good, then God is going to do good back. And it's very, very hard to break that because in the very beginning... There was one awesome, beautiful, perfect will. And that will was called the will of God. It was holy. It was honorable. It was what created the universe, sustained it, made our beautiful blue planet with all of its trees and mountains and valleys and rivers until the enemy showed up and tried to assert his will. And then, of course, the devil... Uh, came and tempted Adam and Eve to assert their own will. And now, instead of one beautiful, holy, awesome will that is so worth living for, we have a, you know, a planet filled with six billion different wills, all going in its own direction. Very, very hard to get back to the beautiful, awesome will of God. And yet the question still kind of stands. What does God want from me? What is my purpose? Why am I here? And we come back to our original question. When is this all going to go away? When does this end? And so eight weeks ago, as we began in the Garden of Eden, we're going to head over to the last book of the Bible, uh, the book of Revelation. And rather than give five points and all that, I'm just going to let the text speak for itself as we see a very different Jesus than the one who died on the cross and the one who came out of the empty tomb, even than the one who ascended into the clouds. We see Jesus as he really is today, top dog. So let's, uh, I'm not calling Jesus a dog, by the way, so I'm just case <laughs> that's being recorded in, uh, in heaven here. Let's go to Revelation chapter 9, verse 11, and you'll see it up on the screen if you didn't bring a Bible. The writer says, I saw heaven standing open, and there before me was a white horse whose rider is called Faithful and True. He's talking about Jesus. With justice he judges and wages war. His eyes are like blazing fire, and on his head are many crowns. Again, he's talking about Jesus. He has a name written on him that no one knows but himself. He's talking about Jesus. He is dressed in a robe dipped in blood talking about the cross upon which Jesus defeated all evil, pain, suffering, yada, yada, yada. And his name is the word of God. If you remember in John chapter 1, verse 1, it says, in the beginning was the word, the word was with God, the word was God, talking about Jesus. Again, verse 14, the armies of heaven were following him, riding as well on white horses and dressed in linen, white and clean, coming out of his mouth, is a sharp sword. Not literally. He's not some sort of magician, you know, who swallows swords and now they're coming back out. It's a, it's a metaphor for the fact that when Jesus speaks, it is the most powerful weapon in the universe. It's the most powerful 
forced in the universe. In fact, the end of the world isn't God's armies doing anything. The end of the world is simply Jesus opens his mouth and speaks. And the book of Revelation say that the earth and the heavens and the universe flees and gets whisked away because the word of Jesus is so powerful that 14.3 billion light years are gone in a nanosecond. <coughs> All at the power of one man's word. Now, I don't know about you, but there have been times in my life I have felt strong, but never that strong. My word could barely move my kids, <laughs> let alone the universe. <clears throat> he says in verse 16, on his robe and on his thigh, he has this name written, King of Kings and Lord of Lords. Then we get to chapter 20. And it says, and I saw an angel coming down from heaven, having the key to the abyss and holding in his hand a great chain. And he sees the dragon that old serpent. That's a very key adjective there. That old serpent. Who is the devil or Satan and bound him for a thousand years. If you skip down to verse 7, when the thousand years are over, Satan is released from prison and goes out to deceive the nations and gathers an army. Verse 9, they cover the breadth of the earth and surround the camp of God's people. And then verse 10, and the devil who deceived them was thrown into the lake of burning sulfur where the beast and the prophet had been thrown. How? Because fire came down from heaven. Ultimately, uh, the, the enemy is soundly and solidly defeated quite easily by the power of God in Genesis chapter 20. And I want to show you a really neat progression of the old versus the new. The book of Revelation is really a book of old versus new. Old and new. Old covenant, new covenant. Old order of things, new order of things. Old self, new self. Check it out. In the book of Genesis, let's go to the next slide. In Genesis chapter 1 verse 1, we see the heavens and earth created. In Revelation chapter 21 verse 1, we see a new heavens and a new earth. We have old in Genesis, new in Revelation. In uh, Genesis chapter 116, the sun is created. In Revelation 21, 23, there is no more need of a sun because the glory of the Lord not only heats the place, but lights it up. Uh, in Genesis chapter 1, verse 5, we get the night established, which is a very big overarching theme in the Bible, darkness and night and all that. All of a sudden, in, Je in Revelation 22, 5, there's no need of night. There's no night there. In Genesis 1, 10, the seas are created. Revelation 21.1, no more seas. Uh, Genesis 3, we get the curse announced. And in Gen uh, Revelation 22, no more curse. Uh, in Genesis chapter 3, death enters human history. And it becomes a part of our existence that we are born and that we die. All of a sudden, in Revelation 21.4, there's no more death. Uh, in Genesis chapter 3, verse 24, man is driven from the tree. What is the tree? The tree of immortality. The tree of eternal life. Don't let anyone tell you that Adam and Eve would have eventually have died anyway. That's a big 
lie. I mean, they, there was a tree in the garden where when they ate from they were going to live forever. And they were banished from that tree so they wouldn't live forever in their brokenness and in their fallen state. All of a sudden, in Revelation chapter 22, verse 14, man is given the tree. We're brought to the tree. God says, eat, 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 eat forever you'll be eating from this tree. In Genesis chapter 3, verse 17, sorrow and pain began as part of our existence. And in Revelation 21.4, sorrow and pain end forever. This will happen. Now, if I come up to you and I tell you, in the future, I am going to do this, and I am going to do this, and I am going to do that. All of you are going to do what? You're going to take that with a grain of salt, right? Because here's the problem. I may get sick. One of you may oppose me. Ten of you may oppose me. I don't have the power to take out ten of you. I don't have the power to perhaps beat uh, Ebola on my own, right? Something could happen to me where even though I say I'm going to do it, until it's done, none of you are really going to put a lot of stock in that, right? When God says he's going to do something, tell me what circumstance is going to change that. What is so big? That's going to stop God. You know? Tell me what being in the universe is going to come and say, you know, even though you said you were going to do that, I defy you, God, and you're not going to do it. Tell me, who's going to do that? You know? When, uh, you know, is there ever going to be a situation where, you know, God falls down the stairs and breaks his legs and goes, wow, bummer, I can't do it anymore. You know? I mean, you know, and, and we're, all, we're all like, man, what a bummer. God broke his leg. I guess we can't count on him anymore. When God says that something's going to happen, when God says, I will do this, there's nothing that can stop it. You and I can't stop it. It's as if it's already happened. I mean, it hasn't happened yet, hasn't happened yet but it's as if it already has. God doesn't go, oops, I was thinking that 2,000 years ago, but you know what? I changed my mind. I think we should end the world this way. Or I think, you know, maybe we have use for the devil in this way. Or maybe this is good. No. He has no need to change his mind. He's already gone back and forth throughout all human history. When God says it's going to happen, it's going to happen. So what is the good news? The good news is that the enemy and all spiritual opposition is old news. The devil is a bygone ruler. He's part of the old covenant. He's part of the old system. He's part of the old order of things. He's part of the old earth that's passing away. All the new is going to come because there's nothing from the old that can challenge the new. It will happen. It's only a matter of time when it comes to fruition. In fact, the enemy's biggest deception is to try to keep the whole world under the old system because the old system is where Satan has any sort of power under the old. So he tries to keep us there. But after Jesus, there is no more powers. There is no more enemy. There is no more uh, demonic strongholds. They are all melt. In the presence of Jesus. That's why I read you that scripture. When he opens his mouth and the swords start flying out, metaphorically, 
There is nothing that can withstand that. There's a story uh, about 13 years ago, a young lady came to me. And she had just uh, given her heart to Christ oh, about a year before that. And uh, she came, but then all of a sudden for a few months, I didn't see her. And then when I saw her again, she had a little baby bump. I said, and she was about 16 years old. I said, I said, what happened? She looked at me, and Tanya was right with me. She had tears streaming down her eyes. I said, God has punished me. God has punished me. My first time, one night on prom. Who gets pregnant? That's how I know God is punishing me. Against all odds, I conceive. First time, one night, first guy ever on prom. I, I couldn't come back here because I felt punished. And he took her hand. And he said, sweetheart, God is not punishing you. No, no, Pastor Tom, he is. He is punishing me. He is. He is. Look, I, I can't even hide my punishment. Listen to me. And listen very carefully. If God is punishing you, then God is not holy. He's not just. Now I got a wood phone. She goes, oh, what? He said, yeah, listen. All of the punishment for everything we've ever done or will do was exacted upon Jesus on the cross. That is where our punishment was. That's where it will be forever. God does not punish us anymore. If God continued to punish us, after our sin had already been punished on the cross, then that would make God one of the most inconsistent and one of the most contradictory gods in the universe, definitely not one we're following. All of the punishment for everything we've done and everything we will do the whole world over was poured upon Jesus at the cross. I held her hand and I looked at her and said, sweetheart, you're not being punished, you're not being punished. Yes, we have to live with the, with the consequences of our actions. Yes, these things happen. And I looked at her and I said, sweetheart, you've got two choices right now. You can handle this pregnancy in who you were, in the old self, the old covenant, the old order of things where the enemy reigns, or you can handle it as who you really are under the new covenant with the new relationship. You're not going to be the first single teenage mother in history to have to go through this. The question on the table is, do you want to go through it in the old self, or do you want to do it in the new? And she made a wonderful choice. And uh, we kept up with her for a while, and uh, we dedicated her son, and uh, she uh, eventually got married to another man, has a family, and is doing great. And uh, I mean, you know, not, I mean, there was just a happy ending to the story. But the fact is, every time we make a decision, we're really tempted in one of two ways to make that decision based on who we were, or to make that decision based on who we are. Shortly after I had given my heart to Christ, 
one of my good friends comes up to me and says, hey, I scored an excellent bag of weed. And I loved marijuana. I mean, it was, it was, you know, uh, it was a great big part of my life. I enjoyed it. I smoked it with my friends uh, every day after school, sometimes twice on Saturdays and sometimes three times on Sunday, you know. Uh, it, it, it was just a major thing that had taken over my life. And I didn't realize it then, but I was sadly addicted to it. My whole personality, I, without it, I'd be terribly grumpy and grouchy. I couldn't think. I couldn't do my schoolwork. And so I had become really dependent <coughs> upon getting high all of the time just to not be a, a grouch and to have any sort of personality. And so I remember, you know, he had offered me this. I just given my heart to Christ, oh, about a month or two ago. Could I have smoked it? Yeah. Could have. God wouldn't have stopped me. Would I have been punished? No. Because all the punishment was already right there. Would I have had to continue to endure the consequences of getting stupider and stupider and <laughs> my words start to slur and I start to rah, rah, rah. Probably. But as I was thinking about it, and this, this, I don't hear God often, obviously, right? I, I don't hear that, that, that strong sense of, but in that moment, just as clear as I could hear anybody, I heard this in, in the voice of my conscience. Tom, this just isn't you anymore. This just isn't you. That's the old. This just isn't you. You want... Tom, you could smoke it, smoke it till you're blue in the face. It won't last. It's just not you anymore. You see, I was trying to reclaim something that felt good in my past. It was more of a memory I was trying to live than an actual temptation. A memory of when I could smile easier and walk lighter. But the fact of the matter is, that was old. It was temporary. It was passing away. It wasn't the new. One time I bought well, about uh, one time I bought a Nintendo game system, but I bought it at a garage sale, and it was about fifteen or twenty years after the first one had come out. And I'm at a garage sale, and I see the very first one. Man, when I was six, seven, eight years old, that's all we did was play the new Nintendo. You know, the the Mario guy, Legend of Zelda, all these video games. And I go to this garage sale. And, you know, for a hundred bucks, there's like 20 games, the game system, all the cords, and two controllers that work. I'm like, oh my goodness, this is great. I buy it, I set it up, it works. I took a day off work so that I could play this thing. And so I'm putting in all these games, and I'm playing it, da 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 I call up the worship leader, you know what, I won't be able to make church on Sunday. Why? You know what, something has come up, and it's just, you know... I'm sorry, I won't be able to make it. This is a true story, by the way. Click. So I know. And so I know when I'm getting excuses because I've made them too. And so, so I'm in there and I'm playing Nintendo all weekend long. I wake up on Sunday morning and I, I, I'm about to put it in again. And I start playing it. I'm like, you know what? It just isn't good anymore. It just isn't as fun as it used to be. I was trying to reclaim something from the past that felt good. I was trying to reclaim moments in my childhood that didn't have any stress when my 
bills were paid by my parents. Well, my food was cooked by my parents. Well, my laundry was done by my parents. You know, just trying to recapture those days that were just carefree and you know, waking up Sunday morning, putting in another video game, and finally like, you know what? I don't even want to play anymore. Uh, I went to church, showed up five minutes before it ended, went out to lunch with my friends at the church, played Frisbee at Carkey Park, ultimate Frisbee like we did on Sundays, had the time of my life, and that night, as we were going to the car, uh, one of my buddies had a sister who had little kids, and I said, you know what? I bought this stupid thing for 100 bucks. He goes, you paid 100 bucks? I'm like, I know, I paid 100 bucks for this. I said, you think your sister wants it, because you know what? It just isn't you anymore. A little closer home, about seven or eight years ago, our last church built a gymnasium. And I was a youth pastor. And all these guys wanted to play basketball. Well, I played basketball in high school. So I remember thinking, yeah, we're going to go out and play basketball. When I played basketball, it was 1989. Basketball players in 1989 wore shorts up to here. And they wore tank tops, right? Tank tops. Uh, so, you know, and, and, and so I'm thinking to myself, that's how you play basketball. Now, this was the year, what, 2007? Uh, you know, they have what's called now basketball shorts that thankfully go down to your knees, right? Uh, they, you know, they, they have uh, mesh shirts and all this kind of stuff. I show up to the first game in shorts up the year that I had to get a Goodwill and a tank top, and I walk in. From 1989 in 2005, and I can see the look of horror on all these teenagers' faces. What happened to you? And, I mean, they start laughing at me, and they can't stop. They're saying, Tom, we cannot even play with you right now. Those legs are so white. You know? I mean, this, it was, it was the most, one of the most embarrassing moments of my life. What was I trying to do? I was trying to reclaim that old. I remember those old basketball pictures where I looked so awesome <coughs> in 1989. And then I tried to apply it to the new. I even thought about regrowing the mullet. <laughs> that didn't work either. I come across many people who try to distort God's will and use it to justify. We see it today when people kill in the name of God. They say it was God's will. One of the most common defenses you see in some of the most heinous murders is the sense of God was telling you to do it. Sometimes when people get married or schnooker somebody into marrying them, it was God's will. Sometimes when we have psychosis, you know, psychotic people, and they say, I'm hearing the voice of God in my head. And, of course, sometimes just our own actions. Well, I did this because God told me to. Never mind that it hurt you. Never mind that it seems reasonably insensitive to any sane person who would see this situation. God told me to do it, so I'm going to do it. When you mention the two words, God's will, in today's society... A lot of people have a negative impression. It's a negative impression. 
because we have so abused and justified God's will to really just promote our own will that we don't want to have nothing to do with God's will. The fact of the matter is, the real will of God is beautiful. It's powerful. It's everything we could ever want. Everything we hope for. Everything we have been created to be. Hungers and thirsts for God's will. If we truly understood it, truly had an experience with it, if we truly knew God's will and will in all its glory, we would re quickly realize that we want no nothing else in this life except his will. Not to justify our own actions, but to live for the one who sets us free. Amen? If you were to ask what is the overall theme of the Bible? The overall theme of the Bible is just simply God taking the old and bringing us to the new. Follow with me on this journey of scriptures, and I think you'll see it. Beginning in Isaiah 62, verse 2, God writes, The nations will see your vindication, and all the kings your glory. You will be called by a new name. That the Lord, mouth of the Lord will bestow. Isaiah 65, 17. See, I will create a new heavens and a new earth. The old things will not be remembered, nor will they even come to mind. Ezekiel, again in the Old Testament, uh, chapter 11, verse 19 says, And I will give them, who? Us, an undivided heart, and put a new spirit in them. I will remove from them their heart of stone and give them a heart of flesh. Luke chapter 5, verse 36, uh, he told them this parable that no one tears out a piece of new garment to patch an old one. Otherwise, they will have torn the new garment and the patch for the new, get this, the patch for the new, the new covenant does not match the old. Romans 6, chapter 6, for we know that our old self was crucified with him so that the body that's ruled now by sin might be done away with, that we are no longer slaves to that very same sin. Romans 7, 6. By now, dying to what was once bound us, we have been released from the law so that we can serve in the new way of the Spirit and not in the old way of the written code. First uh, Corinthians 5, 7. Get rid of the old yeast so that you may be new unleavened batch. What? As you really are. Remember that? Remember that, 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 that sentence that came to me, Tom? This is just not who you really are. That's exactly what Paul is getting at here. As you really are, for Christ our Passover lamb has been sacrificed. You're not being punished. <coughs> 2 Corinthians 5, 7. Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, the new creation will come when Jesus returns. The new creation has already come. The old has gone and the new is here. Galatians 6.15. Neither circumcision nor uncircumcision means anything. All of these religious rituals you do, all these religious backflips, all these religious motions and these religious things, Paul's saying they don't mean a thing. But what counts is being created anew in Christ, the new creation. Ephesians 4.22 Put off your old self, 
which is being corrupted by its deceitful desires. Hebrews 8.13, by calling this covenant new, he made the old one obsolete. And what is obsolete and outdated will soon disappear. 1 Peter 1.3, praise be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. In his great mercy, he has given us a new birth. With a with a uh, uh, and a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ. And then Revelation two seventeen. Whoever has ears to hear, let them hear what the Spirit is trying to say. That to the one who is victorious, I will give them hidden manna, and I will also give to that person a white stone with what a new name written on it, only known to the one who receives it. Revelation chapter twenty one verse four. And he will wipe every tear from their eye. There will be no more death or mourning or crying or pain. For what? The old order of things has passed away. Revelation 25. He who was seated on the throne said, I am making everything new. All that we go through, all that we struggle with, it's just temporary. It's the old order of things. It's 1989. It came and went, and thank God it's gone forever. <laughs> Otherwise, you might see my white legs out there. <laughs> Nintendo has come and gone, and thank God for Xbox. <laughs> <laughs> the old has gone. So how do we live according to the new? <coughs> First thing we do is we pray. And we read the word. Okay, yeah. That's what every pastor in every church in America says. Yeah, but I'm not asking you to do it for religious reasons. If you do it for a religious reason, then you're not going to understand that Jesus is the punishment for you. And you're going to think you're being punished, and it's going to rule and dominate your life that you need to be a good boy for God. Why am I asking you to pray and read your Bible? That's how we have a relationship. How do I know we can have a relationship with God? Because we are a new creation. The old is gone. The new has come. And God says, we can have a relationship together. That's the first thing. The second thing is this. The self you feed is the self that will win. If you want to feed anger, depression, Pride, morality, addiction, affairs, abuse. If you want to feed that into your old self, temporarily it will win. It is still part of our dualistic existence. The old and the new existing together. But if you feed the new self, draw boundaries. Make changes. I changed a job once. I was working in a pizza factory. It was an orgy factory. And what they were doing in the back, I was told not to tell anybody. And then they were beginning to tempt me into it. And I talked to my pastor. I said, I need a job, but I don't know how long I can last under this kind of pressure and temptation. And he looked at me and he said, if it's your will against temptation, you're going to lose. I said, then what do I do? He said, you quit your job. I said, I need the money. He said, you can't trust God. He'll find you the money. But you quit your job. I quit that job. 
Then I went and worked for Starbucks. It was much better. The fact of the matter was there was, there was provision there. What we want to, when we, when we feed the new, we can truly sit back and begin to realize the old is gone. The enemy is a bygone ruler. He's old news. Everything is about, it's part of the old order. And this morning, my encouragement to you this, choose the new. Why? Because that's who we really are. Come out from who we were and choose who we are. Come out from the fear of being punished by an angry God. Come out from trying to appease God. Come out from addiction. Come out from depression. Come out from purposelessness. Come out from the old order of things which is passing away and is temporary. And step into the new. It's the best decision you'll ever make. And Jesus is the best friend you'll ever have. Amen? Amen. 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 Amen.